Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into a bonus edition, the Game Recap Saturday, the August the 17th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins fall in Tampa Bay on a less last second field goal, rather. We'll go position by position, hand out some game balls, explain Miami's defensive success, offensive struggles, and weigh in on the quarterback battle, which has taken yet another turn. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We are a top 200 podcast regularly on iTunes. Let's go ahead and keep that up. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. The show is at LockedOnFins, and you can check out the written content with all the videos of the Dolphins games and breakdowns everything you want up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and the new rebranded Locked On NFL podcast with the expert analysis of former NFL scout Matt Williamson and new host Brian Peacock. We have a game to talk about tonight. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins And that's a bit of a cool joke right there because first downs were very difficult to come by in this game for the Miami Dolphins. The weather was not conducive to solid offensive play, especially on an offense where the Dolphins are kind of working out some kinks. And we're going to get right into this game here in just a minute, but I want to start with the predominant topic of the entire offseason of training camp and now of these preseason contests. And Brian Flores came out right after the game in his post-game presser after the Dolphins do drop this game 16-14 to to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, fall now to 1-1 on the preseason. And Flores named Ryan Fitzpatrick the starter for the Jacksonville game. And I kind of wonder if that was the plan coming in to continue to balance this quarterback competition. But just upon the body language of both quarterbacks, I thought Fitzpatrick looked a little bit angry about the fact that he didn't come in until the third quarter. And why wouldn't he be? He signed here to be a starting quarterback. He's 36 years old, playing in the third quarter with a really ragtag group of offensive linemen, which we're going to get to and we're going to get through it together here soon on the podcast. But I don't like the move to make the announcement right now because one, you haven't seen the tape yet. Go back and watch the tape and you'll see that Josh Rosen really outperformed Ryan Fitzpatrick in this game. And two, we're looking at Fitzpatrick and Rosen with two different scenarios, both with the first team and the second team. And frankly, Josh Rosen won both those battles. He played better with the backups. He played better with the starters. And this continued success and this continued growth and development where Ryan Fitzpatrick basically peaked on day two of camp and then came back down and has flatlined pretty much since that time. I guess I don't quite understand the purpose with the current circumstances around the quarterbacks. And you guys will say, well, Travis, for so long you were on this Ryan Fitzpatrick train. And yeah, I was because he was outperforming Josh Rosen by leaps and bounds. And those leaps and bounds paired with the fact that I want this year to be all about identifying and building a solid foundation and culture and structure within the organization 
to make it so they can just plug new bodies into the scheme, into the system, into the program, and have a dominant, sustained, successful team like the New England Patriots. It all has to happen in this year number one, and then we can add some talent into that structure and things can take off. And that's why I was so big on the Ryan Fitzpatrick train or bandwagon. But now that he's not playing well and the competition is pretty much even, if not more, in Josh Rosen's favor... What's the downside? Play Josh Rosen. I don't like the announcement, but perhaps we'll see Fitzpatrick play a couple of series with the Jaguars because nowadays that week three preseason game isn't really the exact same dress rehearsal we've come accustomed to knowing it as. So just see what you can get, continue the evaluation, and hopefully Josh Rosen gives you a more emphatic reason to start him in that week one game against the Baltimore Ravens. And we'll come back to the individual performances of these quarterbacks in the second segment. But I want to get now to the second most important topic of the night and kind of our second headliner behind the quarterbacks and the defensive schemes and the blitzes and the gap integrity, the lane integrity, and how I think this defensive scheme with this talent, even though the Dolphins were out several of their top players, is sustainable into the season. And I talked about it all off-season long. They're going to bring pressure with linebackers. They're going to play tight man coverage. They're going to rally and tackle. And they're going to find a way to create pressure on quarterbacks by throwing different looks and disguising their looks before the snap and bringing exotic looks post-snap. And they did that in this game. We'll talk more about Jerome Baker in a second. He was all over the pass rush. But one of the things that he did the best, I thought, in this game was something he did back at Ohio State. And this is part of the... The puzzle pieces coming together here for Miami in this new defensive scheme. He finds a way to get himself into gaps, but not with the sole purpose of just flying at the quarterback, which he's great at doing that, but with the purpose of staying in his particular gap and rushing with a purpose to occupy blockers to free up his teammates. And you guys can go to LockedOnDolphins.com and check out the recap article up there right now and see the very first video in that column I posted of an end zone angle shot of a Dolphins A-gap pressure blitz where Jerome Baker comes free and he might actually have a free run at the quarterback, but the running back is going to step in front of him and take him out of the play. So Baker angles his rush and takes out the guard who is blocking Christian Wilkins and in the process has the running back come up and pick up that pressure because you're taught to pick up the most imminent pressure on your quarterback. And as a result, Christian Wilkins shakes free. He loops on the inside and comes right up the middle and buries the quarterback who I believe got the throw off, but still Christian Wilkins puts a hit on the quarterback. That's the kind of creative scheming we're talking about. And I'm glad that we finally have an opportunity to show you guys what I mean, because I feel like I can show you on tape with Patriots tape or compare it to Jerome Baker last year and Matt Burke scheme so many times, but now I'm able to actively and with conviction show you what happens when the Dolphins dial up that type of stuff with the personnel they have. It looks successful. They were dominant all throughout the first half on this defensive side of the ball, getting pressure, picking up plenty of quarterback sacks, stuffing the run. For the most part, everybody on this defense looked the part. There's a few guys that did not, and we'll get into those guys as well as the successful players here next on the other side of the podcast. We'll tell you about the stats, who didn't play, and give you the position-by-position recap here next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, a special game day recap edition. You can find me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL, the best follow on Dolphins Twitter as voted by Dolphins Twitter, and you can find the show at LockedOnFin. Money. It's a hit. A dog hit me back. 
This song felt appropriate for the game recap because the Dolphins have a lot of money to spend next year. There's a lot of potential resources available on the offensive line where things are looking awfully dire. Just two games into the exhibition season for this 2019 Miami Dolphins squad under new head coach Brian Flores. And one of the things I mentioned that I wanted to see in this game was a stronger effort on the road, and I don't think the team was necessarily unprepared or unable to play in the conditions on the road. I think they just fell into the trap of playing a sloppy game in poor conditions, and frankly, they have an offense that's just not that good, and that's why so many of the mistakes occurred on that side of the ball, but the side that Coach Flores is more focused on is the defense, and that side played lights out. Let's get to these stats here and talk about the position-by-position recap of the second game of the preseason. The Dolphins lose to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 16-14. to You guys can see this written content up on LockedOnDolphins.com, and of course, check out our daily podcast here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And going over the key statistics from the two teams in this game, the Dolphins were outgained, but not by much. 280 to the Buccaneers, 312. The Dolphins outrushed the Bucs, 118 to 75, but the Bucs had the passing advantage, 237 to 162. I mentioned Miami's penalties, 13 for 122 yards. A lot of that came on offense. That's just not good enough. That has to get cleaned up. That stuff takes no talent, and I'm sure that'll be the focal point of practice all next week for this Dolphins team. On third and fourth, Fourth down, the Dolphins were 2 out of 15. Yikes, that's not good. The Dolphins picked up four sacks on the night. The Buccaneers had five sacks of their own right, and the Dolphins possessed the ball for 27 minutes and 43 seconds. So the second straight game, the Dolphins do come up short in the time of possession battle. Many of the Dolphins' main guys were not up for this game. Cornerback Xavier Howard, wide receiver Devontae Parker, and Albert Wilson, and Jakeem Grant, with running backs Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balage. I mean, shoot, that's what? Five of the top seven skill players that are not in this game. On the defensive end, Rashad Jones, TJ McDonald, and Walt Aikens. Three veteran safeties all down. Two tackles, Zach Stirrup and Jordan Mills, both down. And then Kiko Alonso, Andrew Van Ginkle, Raekwon McMillan, Chase Allen, and Quinton Poling all did not play in this game. A lot of backups got plenty of time. Some of those guys shined. Some of the frontline guys shined. Some others did not. And so we start here at the quarterback spot. And look, let's talk about Josh Rosen here again. I thought that one, his body language and his demeanor was improved this game compared to the last. He didn't hang his head. He was encouraging guys. It looked like he had good command of the huddle. And his receivers dropped a lot of passes of his, which really kind of dampered his stats. I think he wound up 10 for 18 with like 120 yards or something to that effect. No touchdowns, no picks. Although he did throw another ball that should have been an egregious interception. I have the video breakdown on the LockedOnDolphins.com recap story. And he's got three receivers to the field side of the formation. Kenny Stills uncovers on a out route to the first down marker, but he tries to test a one-on-one matchup with Preston Williams into the boundary, which of course, why wouldn't he do that? But Williams gets jammed up pretty good. He's not open. Rosen forces it, throws it way under, and the defensive back has it go right through his hands when he probably would have ran for six for six points back the other direction. We just can't have that. It's got to get cleaned up. He missed some other throws, but again, the rain was a factor in the accuracy. I thought he did really well to get off the spot, find new passing avenues, reset, and deliver sharp footballs. He had the play of the night early in the second quarter when he broke, po- broke the pocket after a play-action fake, had an immediate pass rush in his face and he peaked at the pass rush got off the spot and made a play outside the pocket 
And the one thing I continue to go back to, Josh Rosen is an absolute gamer. And I've been calling it that for some time now. And he did score points to end the first half once again. He tends to really raise the raise his level of play when the stakes get higher. I like that about his game. Now, the other quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, it just didn't look good for him. He looked a little bit uninspired. The offensive line in front of him was garbage, like absolute garbage. He got popped a few times. He had the play of the night, though, when he dropped his shoulder and ran over a defensive back for the Buccaneers and got a first down, although it got called back on a penalty. But he was under duress and under siege all night long. He threw with different arm angles and different arm action, which I like about his game, but his accuracy and his decision-making both were not on point in this game. Jake Rudock had a really bad interception in the end zone, but he came back with a nice go-ahead touchdown and two-point drive in the final moments. Again, Rudock's only chance at this roster is the practice squad, and frankly, I'm not even sure if he's eligible for that. Running backs, Drake and Balazs were both down. I think Balazs was more of a result of the poor weather. We know Kenyon Drake's in a walking boot, but Mark Walton was the next guy to come in, and he looks the part of what they might want for a back in this offense. He had a really nice blitz pickup where he attacked the fifth rusher up the middle of the offensive line and really put him on like backwards on skates. He also had a nice reception on a slant route where he was split out wide of the numbers, something you have to do as a back in this offense as well. Patrick Laird was up next. He had 45 yards on six carries some really nice patient runs with good vision and just enough burst to make his runs work Miles Gaskin he was in there a lot a lot of two back sets with him and Mark Walton but Gaskin really didn't have much room to run I think he wound up with six rushes for 17 yards Kenneth Farrow had a big big run but it was on a massive lane that was opened up off the right side by Nick O'Leary and Chandler Cox had a couple of good leads a couple of bad blocks and he got hit with a holding call. He just is a mixed bag every single week, every single day, it seems like. We'll see about him, but he is going to be a fixture on this offense. Now, the wide receivers, go ahead and throw this tape out, burn it up, and just forget about it because they were awful. Preston Williams led the charge. He had a couple of drops. I think he could have given him three. I gave him two, and both of those would have moved the chains, but he did almost have a ridiculous highlight reel catch down the sideline. I'm sure you guys will see it on the Twitter machine and even on the ESPN highlights at some point. He almost tipped it to himself and brought it down to the corner of the end zone, but he was just barely on the chalk. He got popped early in the game, like under his chest plate, and I think he came off the sideline and was, was kind of dinged up, and he didn't respond to that. That's something he's going to have to learn how to deal with because, well, son, this is the NFL. Kenny Stills had, I think, maybe a drop, although I couldn't tell if it got tipped. He did have a nice first down reception on a third down and three where he motioned to a stack formation and ran a drag route and Rosen found him over the middle. That's the kind of thing the Dolphins love to do, stack the receivers and create free releases that way because this group so far is struggling to get off press and get off those releases, especially in this game. I thought Isaiah Ford and Bryce Butler had the best nights among the group. Both had two catches and one of those catches for each move the chains, and Isaiah Ford did uncover on an end zone throw that Josh Rosen missed him on, I thought. He was late and a little bit low on the throw. It was fourth and goal from the two, and Rosen missed Ford, and the Dolphins turned the ball over. Saeed Blacknell had a nice big gainer on the go-ahead drive late in the game, and Trenton Irwin caught the ensuing two-point conversion after Patrick Laird had caught a touchdown from Jake Rudock. The tight end position, I talked about Nick O'Leary's block off the edge on the big Kenneth Farrell run. This seems to be a developing theme between he and Durham Smythe. Both those guys do good work in the running game. One guy that continues to impress me a little bit is Clive Walford, and more so for his blocking, but he also had was involved last week in the passing game. But he's a good-looking blocker. You take a look at that Farrell run to the boundary. It was 12 personnel, two tight ends into that boundary in an unbalanced offensive line or an unbalanced look, 
I should say, and Walford comes back across the formation and digs out the backside, something he's very adept at doing. I think Mike Kosicki looks fine. I mean, he's getting open. He had three targets in this game. He caught two of them. The one miss was a bad throw from Josh Rosen behind him on a wide open slant route. I think he has a role in this offense as a pass catcher. And then Dwayne Allen got onto the field, committed a big time hold on a first down run from the five yard line from Mark Walton, who tried to bounce the run outside despite the fact that he had a good lead block up in the B-gap from Chandler Cox. We got to do better than that. We have to see that hole and try to play more power football and get ourselves a second and goal from the two or from the one even and really really put the defense on their heels rather than try to bounce it outside and give them a chance for a tackle for loss. And then, and then we move inside to the offensive line and you guys hear me sighing over the microphone right here because I just don't know what to say or what to do because they're really... A lot of these other positions, I can give you a reason or a justification or maybe even a resolution to some of the issues. But on this offensive line, it's just, it's not going to happen, guys. It's not there this year. And Laramie Tunzel returned, and they were like relatively adequate when Tunzel was in the game because you can slide protection completely away from Tunzel and leave him on an island. And he's going to lock down whoever he faces out there. It's so much fun to watch him gain that depth with his initial kick slide and drop step. And then he just basically turns into a wall and the rusher across from him looks so futile in the process. It's an absolute elite left tackle. We got him. He's ours. Time to lock that guy up because every single time he plays this year, he's going to drive that price tag up. Now, he's elite, but the rest of the line is far from it. Jesse Davis, he surrendered a sack on an overset where he got way too deep into his drop into his set. Even though he had help from the running back off of his right shoulder, he gets a deep drop step and then the defensive end rushes upfield and underneath him for an easy sack on Jesse Davis. That's got to get better. It's difficult to really assign certain pressures on stunts and twists and, and blitzes from the defense, but Shaq Calhoun often is one of the guilty parties when blown protections occur on that right side. He's often standing there looking for someone to block, so I don't want to assess all the blame, but to me, it looks like it is his fault, and that happened again in this game, but I will give him credit. He is one of the better run blockers right now on the starting group because Michael Dieter just does not look the part right now. Daniel Kilgore got taken for a couple of rides on the interior offensive line. Teams are really having their way with this Dolphins interior offensive line, and it's probably going to be the Achilles heel for this team for what, the fifth, sixth straight year now? It's not good looking, guys. We got to do better on the interior. And off the edge, the backups, it's not any better. Jordan Mills was down, and Jared Jones-Smith got the promotion, got the call for that. Somebody on press row told me this guy's an NFL player. Bullshit. He's not. I mean, look at the guy. He was an absolute train wreck. He was consistently beat with a speed rush off the edge, and he just doesn't have the quickness to play left tackle. Maybe, maybe he's a developmental guy, but nothing more than that right now. This offensive line needs so many parts next year, both in free agency and in the draft, and I'm going to have a preview for the offseason coming up here shortly. I know we have a whole season to play, but I want to give you guys some reasons to be excited because there are plenty of reasons to be excited as we go into a very, very important offseason in this team's franchise. But before that, we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast and talk about the positives, the defense, position by position. We'll hand out some game balls, all of that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You can find me at Wingfield NFL. You can find the show at Locked On Fins. And I also want to tell you guys that support for the Locked On Dolphins podcast comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below the belt grooming. You may have seen them on Shark Tank. Manscaping offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code locked on at manscaped.com. That's 20% off at manscaped.com with the promo code locked on. 
I didn't want to leave you guys with a sour taste in your mouth to close out this show, so I figured why not start on the offensive side, on the completely futile side of the football, and close things out with the side of the defense, the side of the ball, rather, that was very, very impressive. This Dolphins defense under Brian Flores, under Patrick Graham, really showed what they're about in this game, and they did fail to make some tackles, which has to get cleaned up, but I really like the way they responded after a difficult first outing against the Atlanta Falcons, and we start on the defensive line, and this guy got demoted on Tuesday's practice against the Buccaneers, and this is something that Flores is probably going to do with a great degree of frequency. He's going to test the metal of his guys and put stress on that player and then when things maybe start to look better for that player he's going to take that strain up another notch and really test these guys and see what they're all about and for Charles Harris this dude flat out responded with a dominant performance in the game on Friday night and you might say well Travis of his four quarterback hits of his two sacks of all that run defense where he was jamming up the edge disengaging and making plays on the ball that was all against backups right Wrong. He was up against Donovan Smith, one of the better left tackles in the National Football League, and he put an end to the Dolphins, or to the Bucks' first drive rather, with a great power move, a bull rush that put Donovan Smith on skates, and then from there, he used his hands to disengage, and we saw that all night long, and you go back midweek to individual drills, there's a video of Patrick Graham on the individual one-man sled, where he's telling guys to throw their hands, keep their hands out in front of their eyes, and then disengage that SOB and get off the, and get off that block. And Charles Harris had a good rep in that video, and that's what he did all night long. That bull rush, he got right into Donovan, Donovan Smith's grill and tossed him aside like yesterday's news. He did it against the run a few times. He won with speed. He won with counter moves. He was very impressive, very much the part of a first-round pick in this game. Now, other players on the defensive line, first round picks, Christian Wilkins had a big night in his own regard. He had a sack, another quarterback hit. He was good against the run and was consistently penetrating the offensive line all night long. Welcome to the league, Christian Wilkins. Devon Godshaw, same story. We don't really have to go over this. Heavy-handed, really good two-gap looking player, just true power player who gets down low in his pad level every single time and wins that way. Tank Carradine, once again, got up the field with a good pass rush. It's becoming pretty common for Carradine to get up field with speed and then chop the offensive line's hands down and then bend the edge. He did that and put a hit on the quarterback, which disrupted a throw and caused an incomplete pass. Jonathan Ledbetter was the guy that took over for Charles Harris on that first team and Tank Carradine, and he had some first team work, and he continues to show you why the coaches love him for the scheme. A lot like Devon Godshaw, just at a different position. He plays low, heavy hands, and can really control the point of attack in this Dolphins two-gap scheme. Now, we go back to linebackers, and there are two guys that... I was talking about Ray Quan McMillan this offseason, and I, we'll talk more about the possible trade rumors of some of the beat writers later next week on the podcast, which I don't believe to be true at all. But Jerome Baker and Sam McGuavin are the two preeminent linebackers on this roster right now. We talked about Baker's 15 snaps last week, five tackles, three of those for run stuffs, but he didn't blitz. And that changed tonight. He has that innate sense for angles to the quarterback, coupled with a very rare burst and good timing off the snap to effectively move the quarterback off the spot from any gap he chooses, off the edge, A gap, B gap. It's so impressive. He's defending the edge as a run stopper. 
I could not say more nice things about number 55, double nickels, Jerome Baker, but Sam McGuavin of the CFL had four splash plays in the first half, including a forced fumble. He displayed everything that earned him first team work throughout camp. He's athletic enough to get 10 yards deep into a pass drop. He had a pass breakup from that spot. He's strong enough to stack the edge in the run game, had a tackle for loss right there. He's instinctive enough to knife between the blocks in the middle of the tackles and make a play there, another TFL. And then of course, his big time stick on the fumble force. He dropped into coverage, carried the tight end up the seam, checked the hook zone for the receiver, found the running back in the flat. That's three areas of the field he covered. And then he drives off the ball, makes a tackle, knocks it out, gets the turnover. What an impressive night for Sam McGuavin. And then Nick DeLuca, I thought was the next best of the linebackers. It's pretty clear what he does well, how he fits the defense. He can straight scrape the edge and assist in the running game, something the Dolphins need right now with all these injuries. At cornerback, no Xavier Howard. Eric Rowe started the game, but he played very sparingly. Nick Needham was back out there again with the ones. He struggled again. Jamal Wilt struggled mostly with his tackling, just as Minka Fitzpatrick did, who suddenly is tackling poorly, which is really weird because that was never the case for him at Alabama or last year with the Dolphins. He did, however, have a nice pass breakup early in the game on his former Alabama teammate, O.J. Howard. Torrey McTire, I thought, put together his second straight good game in this one, so that's good for 24 to see if he can make the opening day roster. The safeties, Chris LeMans was all over the place, and he deserves a mention. The first safety on the group tonight, a prominent fixture on special teams, all over the place against the run, the pass, a very nice TFL on a screen pass. Chris LeMans has a chance to make this team. Bobby McCain is so often out of the frame altogether that it's really tough to identify him on the TV broadcast, but he did come up once and run support, and he's doing well to really click and close on the back end to condense those windows on the deep portions of the opposing passing game. Montre Hardage is still the second team deep safety. He's been out there pretty much every single time since like the second or third day of camp. He did miss a tackle on a big play in the screen game, but it was brought back due to a hold on the offense, and Maurice Smith was active in the middle of the field with Rashad. Uh, Jones and TJ McDonald down for this game. If both those guys are down for the season opener, I don't know if they will be, but I think if they are, Maurice Smith is the next guy to get the call and play significant reps. So all things told, this to me was exactly what I expected to see last week. A strong defensive effort with creative and complex schemes that can overwhelm the offense with its disguise and an offense that cannot get out of its own way, a very wishy-washy quarterback situation. And despite the defense's dominant first half, I thought it was odd that Brian Flores kept Charles Harris, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Sam McGuavin on the field for the third quarter. That was kind of weird. The special teams unit continues to look the same. Cornell Armstrong, Nick DeLuca was out there, Terrell Hanks, Chandler Cox, Maurice Smith, Montre Hardage, Jamal Wiltz, Minka Fitzpatrick, Durham Smythe, and Chris LeMans. Those are the kind of guys you expect to see on the back end of the roster, even though Walt Aikens will be part of that group as well. The Dolphins lost this game after taking the lead with 34 seconds. That's got to really annoy Brian Flores. You have to find a way to close these games, even though it is the preseason. And the absurd number of penalties, the bad offense, a sloppy game from this Dolphins team. I'm sure those will be focal points in the meetings tomorrow morning when the team regathers after this game to have a little post-game recap. Jason Sanders, still one hell of a kicker, 45 and 49-yard kicks right down the middle on a sloppy, wet playing surface. And look, all things considered, this offense is down Kenyon Drake, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant. They're going to need all those guys, plus Laramie Tunzel, to stay healthy for this offense to have any chance of success 
regardless of who the quarterback is. We'll see what happens. We'll break it down further next week and, of course, have an answer for you probably after the Jaguars game. And we'll get into more detail about this game, the roster, how things stack up now going forward later on this week on the podcast. And let's go ahead and hand out some game balls before I get out of here. It's pretty obvious. You guys heard me talk about him. Charles Harris gets a game ball. Two sacks. What a night for him. Sam Aguavin, the four big splash plays. He gets a game ball. Jerome Baker, the catalyst of this defense right now in the middle. He gets one. Christian Wilkins, big time game for the rookie. And Patrick Laird, the undrafted running back from Cal. We have to give one to the offense. And Laird gets that game ball. So that is going to do it for me on this edition, this bonus edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I'll be back with you guys on Monday for some more in-depth look into this game, restack the depth chart, talk about the future of this team going into an important offseason, and plenty of more content as we prepare for the Jacksonville game and the start of the regular season, which is now right around the corner, guys, just a few weeks away until football starts to count for the NFL and for the Dolphins going forward, but I'm going to go ahead and check out of here. You guys all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on that daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Sunday night slash Monday morning for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up. Miami.